Our scripture reading, we turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Begin reading at verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down from above. Or, Who shall descend into the deep? That is, to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. And it's especially the next verses that we'll be taking note of uh, this morning. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. 
But I say, did not Israel know? First, Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel, he said, all day long, I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. So far we read from the Holy Scriptures this morning. We just read and all of Scripture, the basis for the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 25. Lord's Day 25, there we read. Since then we are made partakers of Christ and all his benefits by faith only. Whence doth this faith proceed? From the Holy Ghost, who works faith in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and confirms it by the use of the sacraments. What are the sacraments? The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals appointed of God for this end, that by the use thereof, he may the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel, namely, that he grants us freely the remission of sin in life eternal for the sake of that one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. Are both word and sacraments then ordained and appointed for this end, that he may direct our faith to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed. For the Holy Ghost teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments that the whole of our salvation depends upon that one sacrifice of Christ which he offered for us on the cross. How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the new covenant or testament? Two, namely, holy baptism, and the Holy Supper. Dearly and beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, this Lord's Day begins with the question, whence doth faith proceed? If it's the case, as it is, that we are made partakers of Christ and all his benefits by faith only, by faith only, and that is true, 
Then the question is, whence doth this faith proceed? How is it that someone has faith? Many people do not have faith. Most people do not have faith. How is it that anyone does have faith? And the answer that's given is the Holy Spirit is the one that works faith. Faith is a gift. And the one who works that faith in us is the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. Faith is entirely a gift of God. Many people make faith and say that faith is a condition. And yet the scriptures teach and our catechism teaches that faith is a, a gift. And the one who works it in us is the Holy Spirit. And our salvation depends upon no condition that we fulfill. In fact, this Lord's Day brings that out, that idea that our salvation is unconditional. When it says, in the answer to question 66, that God grants us freely the remission of sin and life eternal for the sake of that one sacrifice of Christ. That's, that's what's mentioned. Not because we've fulfilled some condition, but for the sake of that one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. The next answer brings that out again. The Holy Ghost teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments of what? He teaches us and assures us of what? that the whole of our salvation depends upon, and then it doesn't mention some condition that we fulfilled, it depends upon that one sacrifice of Christ which he offered for us on the cross. The Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us the truth concerning unconditional salvation and who assures us of that concerning our own salvation. The Holy Ghost works faith by the preaching of the gospel. And here in this Lord's Day, we have what we often refer to as the means of grace. The me and we read here that the Holy Spirit works faith and he confirms faith. He teaches us and he assures us. He works faith by the proclamation of the gospel and then, it, uh, and then confirms it by the sacraments. And then after that, this Lord's Day and the next five Lord's Days are on the sacraments. In our creeds, take note of the fact that there's quite a bit about the sacraments. We see that in the Belgian Confession, too. That in this article, it briefly mentions the preaching of the gospel, and then the next question is about the sacraments, and then it mentions the word and the sacraments in question 67, and then we have 
five Lord's Days on the Sacraments, where we talk in more detail about the two sacraments. So in the Lord's Days to come, there's going to be quite a bit about the subject of the sacraments. This Lord's Day also, in addition to the subject of the sacraments, brings out the fact that the Spirit works faith by the preaching of the gospel. Now, there's a number of questions with regard to that. What exactly is the gospel? There are many that say they're preaching something, but is what they're preaching really the gospel? Secondly, what does it mean to preach? There are those that would say they're preachers, but what exactly is preaching? What does it really mean to preach the gospel? Who preaches the gospel? Is it the case that anybody can say that they're a gospel preacher and that they have been called to go forth and preach? Now, all believers are called to bear witness to the truth. We, are, we partake of Christ's anointing. We're prophets. But what is referred to here as the preaching of the word and as those that are sent to preach the word? Considering this, we look at what's brought out here in the section verses 13 through 15 that says, How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? To call on the Lord, one must believe. How shall they believe in him of whom or whom they have not heard? They have to hear him. To believe in him and then how shall they hear without a preacher well some talk as if you don't really need a preacher here it says how shall they hear without a preacher and then it says how shall they preach except they be sent and that's a key question too who has sent the one who claims that he's a preacher how can they, shall they preach except they be sent? Faith comes by hearing, verse 17, and hearing by the word of God, that we hear Christ speak to us. The word of God, Christ by his spirit, works that faith, that faith in us and in our children. And we consider this Lord's Day under the theme, faith cometh by hearing. We consider, first of all, the heard voice. When it makes a reference to the fact that one must hear him, we consider, first of all, the heard voice. Secondly, the sealed promise. The sacraments are said to be signs and seals by means of which he more fully declares and seals to us the promise of the gospel. So the promise is declared, and the fulfillment of that promise is declared in the proclamation of the gospel, and then that promise is more fully declared and sealed to us by the use of the sacraments. And then lastly, we look at it from the viewpoint that the grace, when we talk about these as means of grace, the grace is particular 
Faith cometh by hearing, the heard voice, the sealed promise, and the particular grace. That faith is a gift is very good for us to not only know that faith is a gift, but to be able to understand what that means. We've looked before at the 14th article of the third and fourth head of the canons, and our young people learn that article, the arguments of that article, because that article is so crucial in explaining how faith is not a condition. Because it not only says that faith is a gift, but then it gives wrong explanations of what it means that faith is a gift. And on the one hand, it says that faith is a gift does not mean simply that he holds it out to us, and then we have to accept it. Rather, it means he infuses it into us. He breathes it, infuses it into us. Well, that, that brings out that it's totally a gift to just make it sound as if faith is, is set out in front of us here, accept the gift. Then we don't receive it unless we accept the gift. But rather, it's that he breathes faith into us. And another wrong idea is that faith is a gift means he gives you the ability to believe. He just simply gives you the ability. So he says, you know, you couldn't have believed if I didn't give you grace, but I've given you grace now and you have the ability to believe, but that he doesn't produce the believing itself. We say, well, it's an the faith is completely a gift means he not only gives us the ability or the will to believe, but also the believing itself he produces. Well, when one understands that, then one understands it's entirely a gift then. And that's exactly the truth of the word of God. The faith is entirely a gift of God's grace. Now we can speak of faith in the sense sometimes we talk about being engrafted into Christ by faith and that even an infant in the womb could already have been engrafted into Christ by faith. So they do have faith. They've been engrafted into Christ by faith but not yet consciously aware and able to express what they believe. Yet they do have faith, even in the womb. But now in this Lord's Day, we're talking about how the Spirit works faith in us that we consciously understand and confess, consciously believing the truth of the gospel that we hear. And the answer that's given is that faith is worked by the preaching of the gospel. And then we'll talk about how he confirms it in a moment with regard to the sacraments. Works by the preaching of the gospel. The question then is, what is the, the gospel? 
The gospel, of course, as we know, is the good news. That term means good news. Good news about what? About salvation in Christ. It's important to bring out that it has to do with Christ. So preaching the gospel has to do with preaching the good news about salvation in Christ. Good news that the promise of God is fulfilled. Fulfilled in the sense that the Savior has come and he has saved us. He's offered the perfect sacrifice. He's reconciled us to God. Said our salvation depends on that one perfect sacrifice that's been offered. That's preaching the gospel. Preaching that the promise is fulfilled in that sense. Of course, the full realization of what is promised is still future. But that Christ has offered that perfect sacrifice. In the old dispensation, they preached about the coming Savior. and What the coming Savior would do. Now we preach that word as, and speak of the Savior as having come and what he has accomplished. Preaching the gospel, then, is preaching the good news that our salvation depends only on that sacrifice. Many people, what they're really preaching is that our salvation depends upon an activity we perform. And that to them is preaching the gospel. And they speak of it as an, as an offer. As an offer. Well, it's not an offer that we proclaim. We proclaim God's promise and the command to repent and believe. Not an offer and a condition, but a promise and a command, as our confessions say, is what we proclaim the promise we proclaim and the command to repent and believe and we bring out also that the ones who will repent and believe are only the elect and here we're looking specifically at the subject of faith that the ones who will believe how is it that some believe and some don't well god works the spirit works by the preaching of the gospel and works faith in some people. Now, taking a look at those verses in Romans 10 that lay out a number of points about calling on the name of the Lord and believing, hearing him, the preaching and the sending and so on. First, we bring out that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, some people might respond to us when we preach particular grace and when we say that God has chosen to save only some people and he desires to save only some. Well, there may be those that respond to that and say, but the Bible says whosoever. In fact, it says right here. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever. We say, well, that is correct. It is the case. We would say the same thing in the preaching of the gospel. Knowing that God desires to save only some, we proclaim the same thing. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But then we also bring out 
that the only ones who will are the ones to whom God gives faith, and God gives faith only to the elect, and Christ purchased faith only for them. But here we're looking at what's mentioned specifically in these verses. First it says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Then it says, How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? That's an important point. To call upon God in prayer, one must believe in him. One must be confident that one will receive what they're requesting. We are, after all, to pray in faith, like the book of James says, when we ask God, when we come to God and make our requests to God, we're to ask in faith, not doubting. We are to ask in faith, confident that God is going to grant our request. So that, for example, when somebody is requesting, calling upon God to forgive their sins, one must believe, to call upon God, one must believe that God will forgive their sins. That there's forgiveness with God. And that those who from the heart, request forgiveness, and who are genuinely sorry for their sins. Not talking about hypocrites, but somebody who is genuinely sorry for their sin and is coming to God asking for forgiveness. One must pray that believing that God will grant that. How shall they call on him whom they have not believed? They must believe. Now then that leads to the next one. How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Now we often point out here, and you'll read this often in our, in our writings too, this idea that the word translated of whom here really could better be translated simply as whom. How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And that would also be in harmony with passages such as Jesus saying, my sheep hear my voice. They hear Jesus. And the scriptures do make that, do make that plain. For in Ephesians 2, for example, verse 17, we talked about how the Ephesians were told that Christ came and preached peace to them. And if somebody said, Christ came here? When did he come here? Well, it wasn't that during the time before his death and resurrection that he went to Ephesus and preached the gospel there. But when the message rather is when the gospel was being preached, 
the people were hearing Jesus preaching to them. Christ speaks, and his voice is heard in that proclamation of the, of the gospel. When that gospel is proclaimed, when the word of that gospel is proclaimed in harmony with the scriptures. To believe, one must hear Christ himself. There's a difference between hearing somebody else tell you that your sins are forgiven and hearing Christ himself tell you your sins are forgiven you. God's elect people hear Christ himself say that to us. We hear him say, our sins are forgiven. We hear him say, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We hear the words of our Savior. And then believing, hearing Christ, that powerful word of Christ, one hears, believes, and calls on God in faith. So to believe, one must hear Jesus. Then the question is, how shall they hear without a preacher. And some might think, well, you don't really need it. You don't need preachers. You just have give them the, the scriptures. What we bring out on the one hand, it is very important that they have the scriptures and that they have an accurate translation of them. Now, I brought this up before. We're thankful to God for the faithful translation we have in the King James Version. Although there may be times where, as was pointed out this morning, there may be times where we say this could have been better translated as something else. But generally, we talk about how, how faithfully the King James is a faithful translation of what we have in the Scriptures. And it, we're thankful to God that we have such a translation. But now you think of the gospel going forth to the nations, and then you consider the question, in all these different languages, how accurate is their translation? This is one thing to say that the Bible's been translated into these different languages, but it's another thing to say that that is an accurate translation. And there have been those that have been trying to bring, take, and provide a more accurate translation into the language of the people. And we do bring out how important that is, that people do have the scriptures. So we don't, we certainly do bring that up. 
It's very important that God's people have the scriptures, and it's good that we are taught to read. And we bring that out to you, to the children in our schools, too, how important it is to be able to read and to keep working at reading. Now, reading is harder for some than others. It's good for us to continue to work at it, that we may be better able to read with underst and understand what we're reading when we're reading the scriptures. Yet, here we're talking about the fact that there needs to be the preaching of those scriptures. Not just the reading of it, but the explaining of it. So it's not only that the scriptures are read, but that they're explained, and which is also what we do in the worship service. We don't just simply read it and then not say anything. We don't just read it and say, well, I couldn't improve on that. You know, I mean, that's the word of God. I can't say it any better than that and just close the Bible. And all we did was read it. And for the sermon, we have, you know, maybe reading all of the book of Romans and 1 Corinthians or whatever. And that was the sermon. We just read two books of the Bible. There needs to be not only the reading of it, but the explaining of it. And that's what the preaching, that's what the preaching is. Preaching the whole counsel of God. Preaching the doctrines that are found there. When we preach the Heidelberg Catechism, we say this is an accurate summary of the different doctrines taught in the Bible. If you preach just one verse at a time, well, as you well know, just going through any one book can take quite a long time. Just going through one of the books. And we're supposed to preach the whole counsel of God. Well, one of the benefits that we have the Heidelberg Catechism preached is that we go through the doctrine systematically that way and say these are the fun these are fundamental doctrines and we are sure that we are covering these doctrines as we go through the, the Lord's day. The scriptures must be explained. And we must explain them from the view, constantly keeping in mind that every passage is about Christ. Which in some cases is easier to see because Christ is specifically mentioned. But in other places that may be more difficult to know exactly what this has to do with salvation in Christ, but we know every passage does. And the word is to be explained that way as it sets forth the truth concerning salvation in Jesus Christ. And to preach it, preaching it is explaining the scriptures, showing how the, the scriptures are always speaking about Christ and salvation in him, and also preaching is proclaiming that with authority. That idea of preaching, acting as a herald, carries with it the idea that one is preaching with authority as an ambassador, saying, the king has sent me, and I'm bringing the word of the king. And that's the idea of hearing Christ. You hear Christ by one that Christ has sent as the ambassador. Similar idea is that if in, 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 you know, in civil governments, if the leader of a country sends an ambassador and the ambassador brings the message of the leader of the country, 
And he's like, you're hearing the message that is coming to you from the leader of the country through the ambassador. We are ambassadors. The preachers of the gospel are to bring the message of the king. And just like an ambassador is not supposed to be bringing his own ideas, when he comes in the capacity as an ambassador, he's to say, this is the word of the leader. This is what I've been sent to bring. So also in the preaching of the gospel, the preachers are to be bringing the word of the king, what they have been sent to bring. And that word is preached, then, by those who are sent by Christ through the church institute. When it says, how shall they preach except they be sent, it's not that just anyone can say, well, Christ sent me. So that you have somebody that's going around on the streets and preaching on street corners. And if you were to ask them, well, who sent you to preach? Let's say that the person was not an, actually an ordained minister, let alone talking about, you know, the, the method that they're using. But looking at it from the viewpoint of just having individuals who decide they're going to stand at street corners or wherever and they're going to be, they're going to be preaching. Or they're going to go to a foreign country and they're going to go around and they're going to be preaching the word. And if a question was asked, well, who sent you? And if they say, well, Christ sent me. And if you say, what church called you? If somebody says, well, I don't need to be called by a church, and Christ sent me. Christ sends through the church. A church calls a man. And that's not only true in our instituted churches, that a church has called a man to be their pastor, but it's also true with regard to the work of missions. That there is a calling church that calls the man to be going forth out and preaching the gospel on the mission field. That Christ speaks through, calls somebody through the work of the church institute, and one must be sent by Christ through the church to go forth and preach that gospel. Now, added to, and very briefly on this subject, because this subject is talked about in the later Lord's days, that in addition to the preaching of the gospel going forth, there is also the sacraments, the administration of the sacraments. The term sacraments is from a Latin term, sacramentum. And that Latin term is a translation of a Greek word that is the word translated, that's the word mysteries. So if you look at the New Testament Greek and a number of places where you see the word mystery, and in the King James, a number of these, you see it translated as mystery. If you look in the Latin, it's translated as sacramentum. 
And that word, sacraments, then came to mean a sign that signifies spiritual things. That's what the term has come to mean. A sign that signifies spiritual things. Visible signs, as the Belgian Confession says, visible signs and seals of an inward and invisible thing. So it's something invisible. Inward and invisible that it's a sign of. We have these visible signs and seals of something that's invisible. For example, when God feeds us with spiritual food, well, we can't see that. That's invisible. It's real, though. Yet it is invisible. Faith is the hand and mouth of the soul. That's really true. You can't see faith. But faith is the hand and mouth of our soul. And there are some that really eat the spiritual food. There are some that aren't interested in spiritual food. Only those that are spiritually alive are interested in spiritual food. Similarly, with somebody that's physically dead, they're not going to eat if you put physical food in front of them. Well, those that are spiritually dead do not eat the spiritual food. But those that are spiritually alive, they do. But you can't see that. It's invisible. God has given us sacraments that are signs and seals of an inward and invisible thing that signify and seal to us God's promise. And they're joined. They are joined to the word of the gospel. So that first you have the promise, proclaiming the promise of God, and also the sign that seals unto us the promise. Something similar, and we often use the idea of an engagement ring or a wedding ring. You have the two that make a vow. And then after they make a vow, then they have the sign. Something visible. And then when somebody was to look at their ring and remember what they vowed, The sign is to, is to signify that vow that was, points to the vow that was made. Well, now, when you look at it from the viewpoint of the sacraments, when we see baptism and the Lord's Supper, which are visible, our mind is to be directed toward the promise of our Lord. that our Lord has made to us. He instituted both of these signs. You know, you think of in a marriage again, that the man puts the ring on his wife's finger. I give you this ring. 
Christ is our husband, he gave us the sacraments. You can see that with both of them. Who told us to baptize? Christ is the one that told us to do that. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them. That was our Lord who told us to do that. How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the new covenant? Christ instituted them. The word and sacraments are ordained. They are appointed of God. Question 66 says the sacraments are appointed of God. And question 68 says they're instituted by Christ. The Lord's Supper, of course, in the very night in which our Lord was betrayed, he took bread. Christ, our Lord, has instituted the sacraments, and we are to administer them remembering what he has said. Remembering the covenant promise. So when we look at the promise and the sealed promise, we're remembering God's covenant. He has made a covenant with us. And he gives us the sacraments to assure us. To assure us. He teaches us by the gospel. He assures us by the sacraments. Question 65 says he, the phrase, the distinction now, we're talking about the distinction between the word, the gospel, and the sacraments. In question 65, the distinction is this. He works faith by the preaching. He confirms it by the sacraments. Then in answer 67, it's put this way. He teaches us by the gospel. He assures us. By the sacraments. Assures us. He teaches us by the gospel, assures us by the sacraments of what? What does he assure us? Looking now at it from the viewpoint of the sacraments, he assures us that the whole of our salvation depends only on the sacrifice of Christ. not on some activity we perform. And he offered the perfect sacrifice. And the whole of your salvation, the whole of your salvation depends on that sacrifice, which he offered for us on the cross. That's what he assures us of. They were ordained of God, instituted by Christ, ordained on the count of our weaknesses and infirmities, the Belgic Confession brings out. Why were they ordained? On account of our weakness and infirmities, the better to present to our senses what he signifies by his word, 
the better to present to our senses. We see something visible and we're to remember what the Word says. And the Word is to explain. We are also, as we administer the sacraments, we are rightly to explain what they mean, and that's what the next Lord's Days are going to be about. There's so much about the sacraments because many have given a wrong idea of what the sacraments signify. And they really are means of grace. A promise is added. And the Lord's Days bring that out, that when Christ instituted the supper, instituted baptism, he also added the, the, this promise. Christ appointed this external washing with water, adding thereto these promises. This promise, rather. So bringing out that he adds a promise. He assures us. They really are a means of grace. That grace is particular. It's not the case that everybody receives grace. When we say that the sacrifice, that our salvation is unconditional and it depends only upon the sacrifice of Christ, that doesn't mean that everybody's saved. Means of grace are particular. Clearly seen that with the, with the Lord's Supper, the scripture comes right out and says that an unbeliever would eat and drink judgment to himself. If an unbeliever comes and thinks, oh, I'm going to partake of the bread and I'm going to drink of the wine and I'm going to be fine. I'm going to continue on in my sin, but I'll be there. I'll be there when they're passing around out the bread. And I'll be there when they pass the cup. And since salvation depends only upon the sacrifice of Christ, I'm going to continue on in my sin, saved by grace. Continues on in his sin, comes and partakes of the elements. Means of grace for him. He eats and drinks judgment to himself. There means a particular grace. Same is true for baptism. It isn't the case. But it's a means of grace for all of our children, head for head. Well, the same thing is true about the preaching of the gospel. It isn't the case that when the gospel is preached that that is a that there's grace for all who hear it. All who hear it in the sense that they're physically there and they're hearing with the ear of the body. It isn't the case that it's a means of grace to them all. Only those who are called also inwardly we speak of the call, those who are graciously called, like Romans 8 speaks of all those that are called, are saved. 
There's a passage that says, many are called and few are chosen. That passage, many are called but few are chosen, brings out that there are many that hear the outward aspect of the call who are not chosen. And the Spirit does not work faith in them. And they, will, they willingly continue on in their sin and will be punished. They will be justly punished as they continue on in their sin. They're not of God, Christ's sheep. They do not believe. They are called in that outward sense in that they hear the words, they hear the sounds, but they don't believe. Romans 10 brings this up when it says that, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. They've not all obeyed the gospel. That brings out, too, the idea that the preaching of the gospel isn't preaching an offer. Obeying an offer? That word doesn't go with the uh, Obeying doesn't go with the idea of it being an offer. And here it says, they have not all obeyed the gospel. Well, we preach the promise and the command to repent and believe. But not everybody believes. They have not all obeyed the gospel. Well, there are many that are called, and few are chosen. The gracious call, everybody that receives the gracious call, which means not only that they hear the word preached, but also the Spirit works in them inwardly. They hear Christ's voice. As Christ said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. All those who hear that voice of Christ, their shepherd, graciously calling them, all of those who hear in that sense, they're all saved. Them he, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. This is the golden chain of our salvation, as our creeds refer to it as. Romans 8, verse 30. Whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Everybody that he calls graciously is glorified, is saved. We, understanding what God sets forth for us in the preaching of the gospel and in the administration of the sacraments, that God has called us out of this world. He separated us from this world. And that's illustrated in the Lord's Supper, for example. He separated us from this world. He feeds and nourishes his people we are to be where the, the means of grace are. Those are, the two, those are two of the marks of the church institute, of the true church. 
the preaching of the gospel, the administration of the sacraments, what we call the means of grace, are the first two marks that we list when we list the marks of the true church. And both of them bring out the importance of us being a member of the church institute. How should they hear without a preacher? Well, it's the church that preaches. Bringing out the importance of membership in the church, which our Belgic Confession speaks about. And also the sacraments, the importance of, of the sacraments, well, they're administered by the church. Bringing out the importance of membership in the true church. And then also, the fact that we're members there brings out the idea that we're to be communing with the saints. Not just simply that physically we're here, and maybe our membership papers are here, but that we commune with the saints. And that we're attentive to the word. So there's not only that we're physically there, but that we're attentive to the word. And that we delight to talk with one another about spiritual things. We're not to neglect the means of grace. We're to be there when there's a call to worship and to gather together and to worship our God and to glorify his name, making use of the God-appointed means. We're to pray for God to give us wisdom and we're also to be attentive to the word as Christ speaks it, which is true of the minister himself. How grievous it is, is if the minister of the word proclaims the word to other people and then in his own life he's walking in sin. That all of us are to be attentive to the word, believing that good news of the gospel, thanking God for our salvation that is all of him, and striving in our life to show our thankfulness to him in all that we do thanking god for the work of the spirit thanking god for the church of jesus christ thanking god for all the blessings we have in our lord and savior may we encourage one another may we grow in faith and understanding and may we magnify and praise the name of our redeemer amen let us pray O Lord, our God, our Father, we give thee thanks, O Lord, for thy grace, thankful for the comfort that we have in thy Son. Lord, strengthen us. We are thankful for the work of the Spirit within thy people. May we grow in faith and understanding, and may we magnify thy name in all that we do. Forgive our sins, O Lord. We're so thankful for the comfort we have of the forgiveness of our many sins. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.